there was a moment in time where I was told by my then manager who was female that I needed to act more like a man if I wanted to be successful. Um, I wasn't going to get ahead in the gaming industry by being myself. So with that, I needed to smile less. I needed to come across as more competitive and I needed to be less happy when I was at work. And it took me years to rewind that memory and recognize the sad history behind it. Welcome to the Point Health Podcast. For our 10th episode, we would like to do something a little special. In honor of Women's History Month, we're hosting a roundtable discussion with a few of the amazing women who work at Point Health. The participants in the roundtable will discuss their experience as women in the healthcare industry, advice they would give to other working women, and why diversity and equality in the workplace are so important. And to moderate the roundtable, we've asked our colleague Josie Raspberry to step in to the host role. Thanks for joining us, Josie. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's good to have you. So Josie's our resident wordsmith and social media guru. So if you've ever read any of our blogs or like to tweet or really seen anything on the site, there's about a 99% chance that Josie wrote it. Uh, so she's going to lead us today uh, in the round table. And with that, I'm going to hand her the microphone and, and hop out. All right. Thank you, Stephen. Um, hi, ladies. So first of all, I just want to say thank you to all of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us for this um, discussion. I know I'm really excited for it, um, especially that we get to do this to finish out Women's History Month. Um, so yeah, I'm just super excited to have a discussion with all of y'all. Um, and before we jump into the questions, I did want to have everyone introduce themselves real quick. Um, so let's start with Teresa. Can you please tell our listeners your name, even though I just said it, and what you do here at Point Health? Thank you, Josie. My name is Teresa Hynes. I am direct, uh, Senior Director of Client Services at Point Health. So looking forward to it. Great. Thank you. Uh, Robin? Hi, I'm Robin Panici, and I work as Executive Assistant to our CEO, Matt Dale. Stephanie? Hi, I'm Stephanie Orkand. I am the Senior Product Manager in the Engineering Department. Rose? Hi, I'm Rose Hogan. I'm the Director of Engineering. And Hayden? Hi, I'm Hayden Mars, and I'm the Director of Operations. Beautiful. Um, so let's just jump straight into the first question. Um, so a recent McKinsey study found that senior level women have a vast and meaningful impact on a company's culture. They're more likely than senior level men to embrace employee friendly policies and programs and to champion racial and gender diversity. Um, why do y'all think that is? What unique perspectives and abilities do women bring to the workplace? Um, Hayden, let's start with you since you did your intro last. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's a fantastic question. I think women naturally are a lot more empathetic and kind of willing to put themselves in another person's shoes and try to understand things from a different perspective. And so I think that definitely has a big part to do with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Robin? Do you have any input? Yeah, I think that women also bring a lot of good intuition. Um, I think that um, all the different roles that we play as women in life and in business provide us the opportunity to see um, a lot, have a lot of insight and intuition for what people are going through, what people have been through. 
and kind of helps think through different things that perhaps a man just wouldn't see. Mm-hmm. Rose, Stephanie, Teresa. Yeah. I think for many women, we have experienced moments in our own careers where we are acutely aware of being the odd one out, that there aren't a lot of people who may look and talk and act like us or have common life experiences. And because we're more likely to find ourselves in that position, consciously, we may find ourselves better able to embrace and uh, seek out those who have an identity that doesn't match the majority because we know how our experiences have elevated what we can offer an organization. And so we're able to acknowledge that in others. That's an excellent point. One of the things I also noticed is that a lot of times um, when the day ends, we have a second role that we adopt and that we do at home. So understanding for me, it's about the work-life balance. I know that sometimes I need to slide uh, forward and back for hours to be accommodating and that it should be open and accessible for anyone that I work with. Yeah, those are all really great points. Um, Teresa, did you want to add anything onto that? Oh, they've pointed out pretty much everything that I agree and agree with wholeheartedly. We just look at things more globally than mm-hmm. everybody else. We've also had to fight for certain things. So we realize the struggles that everybody have, whether it be a single parent, an individual, mm-hmm. or a family, kind of all the things that they've got to deal with. And any way that you can kind of help with that kind of helps them succeed. And that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jumping into the next one. So let's talk about our industry specifically. Um, How are women particularly suited to lead in healthcare? Um, Teresa, I'd love to start with you on that one. Biggest thing for women in healthcare is we engage in in it more often than men. So we tend to look at it more from a patient's perspective as a result of that. And... um, So our experience is a little bit different from theirs where they might look at it from a business. We're looking at it from not just a business, but is this the best way to help the member through these processes? Right. So it's just, it's just a different viewpoint. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Why do you think that is that um, a lot of women can kind of look at it more from the patient perspective than the business perspective? I think it's because we're naturally caregivers. It's a, it's a role that I don't know if everybody ever, we want that, but it's kind of part, it becomes part of our DNA, right? Where we're trying to solve solutions for a multitude of different things and doing it in the time that we have. So not only are you dealing with trying to help somebody through the healthcare system, but you also are trying to make sure it works for them economically and helps them where and meet them where they're at. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, would anyone else like to jump on that, on um, how women are particularly suited to lead in healthcare? I will. I think something that I learned when I joined the healthcare industry is how complicated healthcare and insurance models can be. And historically, those models haven't served women well. Um, Traditionally, uh, women have been charged higher premium rates, um, limited coverage options, and also uh, research is coming out about um, a lower quality of care 
being given to women, um, particularly in certain scenarios like uh, pain management or um, ongoing like post-surgical recovery. And while laws and policies are changing, um, the industry mindset has a lot more catching up to do. And I feel like women are suited to lead in this industry because we know what needs to change. We know what needs to evolve. And we also know what's at stake if those improvements aren't made. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a really good point. All right. Well, I will go into the second part of that question, which is, um, so what you kind of started to get into that, Stephanie. Um, so the next question is how can the healthcare industry do a better job of supporting women and ensuring they are encouraged to pursue those leadership opportunities? You know, I think diverse representation in the boardroom will really help drive the changes needed by opening up um, the opportunities to share new ideas, um, be open to gathering feedback and exploring it without coming from much of a defensive position, but rather a, there's room for improvement here. How can we raise the ceiling? How can we make things better across the board? And I think that diverse representation from the boardroom down uh, is definitely one of the big ways we can make that improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see, Robin, would you like to add on to that? Yeah, just in addition to that, that's a good point, Stephanie. I think it's just, it's important to have women in any situation where decisions are being made, whether it's in the boardroom or in politics or in legislation or, um, you know, even just organizationally in departments, um, just having women play critical roles that are making important decisions for, for women's rights and for women's um, healthcare. Um, I think it's important that, um, that women have a voice at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Hayden? Sorry. Um, no, I, I completely agree. I think that if we're intentional about having diversity, including women in decisions from the top down, um, I think that's really where the biggest impact can be made. So totally agree with Stephanie and Robin. So let's see, I'm going to get into some more specific questions now. Um, Stephanie and Rose, as I'm sure both of you know, STEM is a largely male dominated industry. Um, it's getting better, but still historically has been very male dominated. Um, so I want to ask you both about your experiences as women in tech and what obstacles you've had to overcome to be where you are today. Um, Rose, I'd love to start with you. So I was, um, let's start by saying I'm a late bloomer. I didn't go back to college until I got my divorce. And so when I went back to uh, computer science, I was really fortunate that I fell into a scholarship program from the National Science Foundation geared towards bringing more women and, um, and minorities into the industry. And one of the things my mentor said is that as you progress in your career, you have to remember where you came from and make sure that you are inclusive in the process. And so one of the things that I learned very early on is when it comes to resume reviews, uh, we block, um, traditionally we blacked out the school that they came from and any of the identifying information so that we could take an impartial look at the skills that they had without introducing any kind of um, um, uh, preconceived ideas about their skill set. I think I had been working for about four and a half years in the industry before I ever met another female developer. And to me, it was absolutely shocking. I'm like, there was eight of us in my class. We all graduated. And then like, there were 68 other people in the industry. <laughs> and so 
it's rare and it's really exciting when I have an opportunity to work with another woman because there's just not that many of us out there um, taking the challenges. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's insane that you went that long without seeing any other women. Um, was that hard when you first started out to constantly be in a room where you were the only person that looked like you? It, it, um, it, there were some challenging experiences. It took a few years for me to understand that I did have a voice. And if that my voice wasn't being heard or being accepted, that maybe this was not the best fit for me. And so I did move. <laughs> I learned how to move. Good for you. That's awesome. I think that's another thing as, as women that sometimes is hard is recognizing that we do have voices and we can use them. And I think a lot of times we might be surprised at who listens. And then if someone doesn't listen, well, that just tells us we're not where we're supposed to be. So that's a really good point, Rose. Um, Stephanie, I also wanted to hear about your experience as a woman in tech. I know um, I kind of stalked you a little bit on LinkedIn and I saw that you used to work in the gaming industry, which I know that's definitely very male dominated. So I'm very curious to hear about your experiences with that or anything else you'd like to talk about as a woman in tech. So many experiences. Uh, So I did. I got my start in the gaming industry, which is known for being very um, homogenous, very uh, male driven, very competitive. And some of my more surreal moments of, uh, oh, no, I can't believe this is happening to me actually came from female managers. Um, There was a moment in time where I was told by my then manager who was female that I needed to act more like a man if I wanted to be successful. Um, I wasn't going to get ahead in the gaming industry by being myself. So with that, I needed to smile less. I needed to come across as more competitive and I needed to be less happy when I was at work. And yes, I know. Wow. It's wow. a lot. <laughs> and I was very young and it was very hard to hear this because it was to me, it felt like, what have I done wrong? And this individual, she got her start when that mentality of uh, you got to be like the boys, you know, you got to be like the men in order to get ahead uh, when that was standard and diversity of approach it just wasn't appreciated. It was really devalued. And unfortunately, she was continuing to push that narrative when she was in a space of authority. And it took me years to rewind that memory and recognize the sad history behind it. And that messaging started as an obstacle for myself. Like I wasn't enough. Um, My personality wasn't valued. Um, My opinions and how I approach matters uh, didn't matter. Uh, But ultimately, I realized from that that I deserve to be at organizations where I'm not only tolerated, but I'm embraced because of who I am. And that moment has become such a defining experience in how I pursue my career and how I also approach working with people in the tech industry. And I think similar to Rose, it's when you when you experience something like that, when you experience being the the odd person out or whenever you uh, have the opportunity to to pay it forward, um, it speaks in dividends. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's so crazy. But I mean, I mean, you pointed it out, though. She was coming from 
you know, her experiences. And I think that shows too, why it's so important that the work's never really done. You know, people say like, oh, women have been in the workplace for a long time. Well, yeah, sure. But I mean, your manager, for example, yeah, she was in the workplace, but she was coming from a totally different mindset where as now I think we are in a place where we're doing better of like, no, you need to be yourself. That's the point of having diverse teams is we're bringing, we're not all trying to be alike. Um, so I think it's really important that we continue to push that. And that's great that you were able to recognize that and not let that experience bring you down and be like, Oh yeah, I gotta be like one of the boys. So <laughs> that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's see, let's jump into the next one. Um, Robin, I'll ask you, um, have you ever experienced someone not taking you seriously at work um, because you're a woman? And if so, how did you handle it? Or if you've been fortunate for that not to happen, um, how do you think you would handle it if you were put in that situation? Well, um, it's a good question. And um, sad to say that I definitely have experienced this. Um, but I'll start by saying, like, I never really try to underestimate the power of kindness and mutual respect in the, in life and in business. So I, every job I've ever taken, I really kind of, you know, have this philosophy that I'm going to show everyone kindness and I'm going to show mutual respect. And so I'm a big believer in teamwork and I'm always happy to jump in no matter how small or big the task is. And so, um, when incidents like this have happened, um, you know, I've just honestly, address them head on. And so there was a particular incident where I was working with an older gentleman for a couple of years and he became very, very angry, um, from something completely unrelated to me or my role. And in his frustration, he exploded in anger at me and, um, you know, realizing he was obviously frustrated, um, I did not address it that day, but two days later, when we had um, a meeting, just the two of us, um, I said, hey, before we get started, I'd like to address what happened the other day. And he was very taken aback because he did not want to talk about it. And I said, I hope that I have shown you great kindness over the two years we've worked together. I hope that you've experienced a mutual respect that I have for you. Um, I said, and with that said, I'm afraid that you've taken my kindness as weakness and I don't appreciate the way you talked to me the other day and don't ever speak to me that way again. And I would never speak to you that way. And I would never disrespect you in that way. And I have the same standard for myself. And so I am a firm believer of just addressing it straight on. And I wasn't rude or mean or agitated or frustrated. I just had to let him know, like that was intolerable and it's unacceptable. And you'll never speak to me that way again. And so I think that we have to teach people the way to treat us and that, you know, I, I wrapped up the meeting with, I'll continue to show you the same kindness. Um, and I thankful and grateful for you listening and expect that we could move forward from this. And so, you know, he was, he had never been addressed in that way. He was very taken back. Um, it was very hard for him to hear. He, um, obviously he'd never heard this from a woman. And so, um, it went very well. And so I think I just laid things out very clearly 
Um, it obviously never happened again. And he continued to treat me with mutual respect. And so unfortunately it happens, you know, and I, I think that by not addressing it, we're doing ourselves more harm than good. We all have a frustrating day. And I told him that I said, I get frustrated. I swear. I, I get angry. And I said, but we need to, we need to treat each other with mutual respect. And so I said, I get it, you know, and um, let's just move forward and, and just do good work. And so that's how we did it. Yeah. That's awesome. That was so hard for me not to like give snaps during your, <laughs> during your story. That's your response to him is so good. Like I'm going to have to take what you said and put it into a crash course of how to deal with conflict at work. Like that was such a good example. Um, that's awesome. And I think that's what you said, especially really struck with me is that we have to, we have to communicate with people and what you said that we have to show people how we want to be treated. Um, I know personally, I can tend to be someone who I'm like, well, if I'm just nice, they'll be nice back to me or like, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But sometimes you have to be really direct with people and you have to, you have to tell people how you need to be treated. Um, it's good on you for doing that. And thank you for sharing that story. Um, Hayden question for you. Um, so you started out as a patient advocate and are now director of operations, which is super cool. Um, and so I'm curious about your time as a patient advocate. Um, I was curious if you ever noticed that, you know, when trying to negotiate down a patient's medical bill, that the person on the other end seemed to be maybe taking you not seriously because you're a woman, or if it didn't happen to you, did you ever notice uh, with patient advocates, like, Hmm, the guys get their stuff taken care of quicker than the women, because perhaps there was a bias going on. Yeah, that's a really great question. And to be honest, I had never even thought of it until I saw it on our question list for today. Cause I'm, I'm a pretty stubborn and persistent people. And so I think half of the deals that I negotiated, I was just like annoying the crap out of people until they gave <laughs> me what I wanted. Um, but when I think about it in hindsight, um, I would say, you know, when we were talking with hospitals, a lot of times we start off in the billing office and then we escalate our way up from there. Um, and so kind of like that first line of defense that we're talking to are usually women. And I think that actually, you know, would kind of play in our favor because what we're trying to do is paint a picture in their mind of, Hey, this is not just another account that you guys have to get paid, but like, this is a human being with a really hard situation going on in life. And I need you to understand, like, they can't afford this and I need you to help me. And so I think, you know, because of that, and it was typically, you know, talking to a lot of women in those roles um, that actually kind of worked out more, I think in my favor, but I did notice kind of thinking back through, you know, times when I would escalate, I was more successful at getting the ear of somebody. If it was a woman that was holding that leadership position versus a man, I think, um, you know, sometimes I would be talking to hospital CFOs and that, or a director of finance. And if it was a woman, they were usually a lot more accessible, a lot more willing to listen and, you know, easier to work with versus, you know, some of the hospitals where it was men in those positions, they were so hard to get a hold of. They were not available. They, you know, for the most part, I think would just brush our calls off. And so, 
Yeah, I think it definitely did influence it now that I look back on it in hindsight. And when I think about those specific cases, it was, I'd have to be way more persistent and stubborn and try to, you know, fight my way through to try and get to that person so they would at least, you know, hear me out. So yeah, I think just being stubborn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, it. that's really interesting. Well, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier of why it's so important to have women at all levels of, of healthcare and leadership, you know, um, I can't remember the exact stat, but I was looking at, I believe it's also from McKinsey and, you know, most nurses are women. Um, a lot of people, the majority of employees in healthcare, just in general are women, but when you get into the more C-level stuff, that's where it drops off. And so I think what you're saying again, just shows why it's so important to have women in those leadership roles, because like Teresa was saying, we can, um, we're a bit more inclined to see it from like a patient perspective or a caregiver perspective, not to say that, you know, all men can't be that way as well. There are plenty of men who, you know, if they're in healthcare, you're going to be, you know, you'd think they would have a, a caregiving side to them, but, um, women, especially I think are inclined to that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Great story. Um, thanks for sharing. So let's see, Teresa. Um, I was curious if you've ever experienced any double standards because you're a woman in a leadership role. Um, if so, I was wondering if you would share an example and how you handled it. And, you know, it's one of those, you know, I feel like they happen in small and big ways, especially as, you know, we work in, in the workforce. I think the small way is I can use an example is where you're sitting in a conference room. And there's all men and you're the only woman in there and you're all equal, but then somebody needs to take notes. 80% of the time, they're going to ask the woman to take the notes. So it's like small, small, right? Mm -hmm. so, and then the bigger way, and I encounter this quite often, not only in my journey, but also with friends of mine that are in leadership and everything is discussions around pay, like understanding your worth. And being able to talk about that because it, it doesn't happen. You, you know, it, it's one of those where we're uncomfortable talking about certain things. I think Robin touched on that where we're kind of uncomfortable having certain conversations, but it's also learning to understand who you are and where you're at and your value. So, I mean, I even had a conversation with a male counterpart when we were discussing raises. And they wanted to give a male a raise and not a female. And the only reason they wanted to give him the raise, and they were equal everywhere else, was because he had to take care of a family. And I was like, so we had to, I was like, okay, we need to talk about that comment. Because let's roll this back. And if you're looking at it, you don't even know if it's male, female, whatever they are. If you're looking at them equally, you would have given an equal race to both, period. And so to say something like that, it, it just puts, you know, it's just those societal pressures that are put on us and these thought processes that of what a family unit should look like and who that breadwinner should be. But it still goes back to understanding your worth and being able to have that conversation with the people that you work with and we as women in this space gradually learn that because we have to learn different personality types and how to speak with them. 
So I don't know if anybody else has experienced that, but that's what I've, I see. And just being able to be a voice and talk, stick up for yourself where you need to stick up for yourself and for others in similar situations. Mm -hmm. I love that you touched on um, the pay gap. That's been an issue that's come to light. Um, I mean, it's always been an issue, obviously, but <laughs> it's come to light definitely in um, recent years. I know, um, I believe the stats have updated. I know um, the last stat I heard was like for every dollar a man makes, a woman makes like 70 something cents. And it's for the same job. They have the same qualifications, same job. And then it gets even worse when you look at it with women of color like that disparity gets even larger. And again, it's for the same job, same qualifications, and it just makes no sense. Um, but yeah, I did want to also open that question up to the rest of y'all. If y'all had any experiences with that about um, pay gaps or, or double standards, things like that. I do. I, um, pay gaps, not so much because um, I'm fortunate that I work in tech. So I, I do remember once throwing a hissy fit and it was like, well, and I went and found a job in two weeks and he looked at me like, oh, whoops. But um, my favorite experience was uh, we were we were building out an Austin office. I was the only developer on site and we were currently interviewing to get me peers uh, to build up this new location. And so we had brought in candidates and because we had offices in uh, Utah and California, they were assisting with the interview. So we were having a teleconference pre-COVID where they would help make sure it was an impartial interview. We brought a candidate in. Anytime I asked him a question, somebody else had to either repeat the question or he would give the response to somebody else. And at the end of the interview, like we had done the proper introductions, he knew what my role was. And at the end of the interview, the chief architect said, now Rose, as the senior, are you going to be able to move forward with this candidate? And the look in his eye when he realized that because he had brushed me all off, his chance of getting the job had dropped was one of the best moments I think I can ever remember. I still savor that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be a moment I think I too would reflect on and be like, yes, <laughs> just when you get moments like that, it's just a win. <laughs> yes, Teresa, with the little emoji hand clap. That's awesome. Um, not awesome that you went through that. That's incredibly annoying that that happened, but it's awesome that you kind of won, quote unquote, in the end. <laughs> um, and I love what you and Teresa both have mentioned. Really what a, a thing I'm hearing a lot from everybody is that we have to use our voice. We have to stand up. We have to ask for what we want. And we have to champion for other people too. Um, as we move up and as we're able to champion for, for other people, like we need to remember that and do that. Um, okay, so Teresa kind of, you started to hit on this. So this will be a good one to go into. Um, I wanted to ask, how do you address the societal or even personal pressure to grow in your career as a woman? Um, let's start with Robin. I think that, I think that we should all put pressure on ourselves to grow. Like, I think we should always be hungry. We should always be learning. Um, I'm a big advocate of, you know, make sure that you're pouring into yourself, you know, whether it's getting a new certification, whether it's going to conferences, whether it's learning something new, I think that we should have not necessarily pressure, but expectation of ourselves to always be growing and learning. And, and so I think that when we do that, you know, we, we really solidify a valuable place in, in an organization. And then, you know, we become invaluable and, you know, then we could speak to, you know, things that, that come up that, that we could deal with. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's important that we always just kind of stay hungry. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, th- I agree. I think there's definitely a, a good kind of pressure to put on yourself because you want to grow. Um, but then I think there is also like a, a negative standard as well, like kind of um, one way I would think of it as, you know, a negative societal pr- pressure as specifically a woman in the workplace is um, being a hundred percent at all things. You know, um, there's often a double, I'll look at working parents. There's also often a double standard you know, people constantly ask like, Oh, how do you balance work and taking care of the kids? No one ever asks a dad that no one ever asks a dad that they only ask mothers. Um, yeah, I do get that. I do understand that. And I think, um, we can't be all things to all people all the time. Right. So before I started in my career, I was a stay at home mom purposefully, like that was my choice. And so when I started my career as an executive assistant 12 years ago, um, I would only take jobs that would allow me to pick up my kids at a certain time, drop my kids off, not miss a practice or a recital or a game and, you know, assuring them I would be the most hardworking person on the team, you know, getting it done early in the morning or late at night. And, and this, just having the expectation, you know, I remember I had one CEO that asked me to work for him five times and I said, no, five times. Um, I said, I know, you know, I look at other executives on your team and I'm not going to be that 24 seven person that uh, doesn't have any work life balance. And, you know, after the fifth time of saying no, he came back and said, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I will create whatever boundaries that you need for work life balance. And I said, fine, you know, I, I want this, this, this and this. And I want this pay. I need to be out of the office by this time. Now that doesn't mean my work stops at that time, but I want this window with my children. And if you can't accommodate that, the answer will forever be no. And so, you know, my children are much older now and I don't have that, uh, that pressure to, to be everything. But I would say, I, I just made the decision. I can't be everything to all people all the time. And that's why I decided to stay home when I, I was able to stay home. And then when I started working um, full time, I set those boundaries very clearly. And then, you know, as my kids got older, obviously those boundaries change and expand. Uh, But there's always um, something that is going to be on your mind as a woman. It's going to be your mom, your neighbor, your kids, your partner, uh, your dog. I mean, there's always going to be other things occupying the space in your mind. And, and I would say, be true to yourself and, you know, stand up for what you believe in. If, if that's your family, if it's certain things that take up your time that you believe in, make sure that you say it on the front end of taking a job. You know, this is really important to me. This is my expectation. These are my boundaries. And so if you will allow me to do that, then I will take this job. If not, that's probably not the best fit for me. And so I think it's again, having a voice, it's knowing what's important to you. And it's not, it's not compromising on those things. And um, I think as women, we, we find ourselves in situ- different situations as uh, we get to certain ages. Um, you know, there's those of us that don't have kids. There's those of us that have one kid. There's those of us that have five kids. Um, there's those of us that will never have kids. And so I think that women go through tons of different stages in their lifetime. And so I think whatever's important to you in this stage, then you need to set that expectation and that boundary at work and, and just let people know that um, this is what I'm willing to do. 
And this is what I'm not willing to do. Um, but I also think that your actions speak a lot louder than words. You know, when you show up the first one and when you put the hours in, when you make it happen, then, you know, you prove that you can have the work-life balance that, that and the boundaries that you need to set. Yeah, those are all super great points. And I just, I just want to say personally, I love how upfront you are with like all the stories I'm hearing from you. It's all very, like, you're not afraid to say what you want and what you need. And it's just very inspiring personally. Um, I'm going to take a page from your book, Robin. (laughs) I think that like I had shared a little bit earlier, like I try never to overestimate the power of kindness. And so, you know, I think that when you state things in a really kind way, uh, but just really clear of what your boundaries and expectations are, then you're bound to have a much better working chemistry with the people that you work with and the people that you work for. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, Rose, I saw you nodding your head a lot during all of that. So I'm very curious if you have anything to add. I want to be Robin when I grow up. I am still trying to learn those. And as she was talking about it, um, she brought up that thing, uh, the concept of that super mom. Uh, one of the hardest things I've had to learn in my career is that I can't do everything that I need to let and trust that my team can help meet me halfway. And the most difficult thing I've had to learn is it's okay to ask for help. Um, I can't solve all the problems. I'm not going to solve all the problems. I need to trust that you chose me here to be here for a reason. You want me to do what I can do, but you didn't leave me in a silo to do it alone. And so <laughs> I'm still striving to become Robin with the confidence, but um, I have made progress over the time. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. I know um, I also personally struggle with that of like, oh, I shouldn't ask for help. I shouldn't ask for help. Yes, yes, you should. Like, <laughs> it's okay to ask for help um, and to, to trust your own ability too as you were saying, like if you're in a position, it's because people trusted to put you in that position. So I think that's a really good point. I've got about uh, two questions left. So the next one I'll ask is um, what changes do you want to see in business or in healthcare or just the workplace in general um, to promote equality and diversity? Hayden, let's start with you. That's a great question. Um, I think one of the changes that I I guess it's a positive thing that I've experienced that I think would be awesome to see and more businesses and more manager employee relationships and healthcare in general is seeing, um, you know, the men that we do work with empower us and encourage us. And um, that's something I've been, you know, really fortunate to have in my journey, like being, being young and being a woman and then being in a leadership role. Um, definitely it's intimidating. And, you know, I constantly have to remind myself, like you're given a seat at the table for a reason, like you have a voice. And I feel like, um, you know, Matt Dill, our CEO, like I, he tells me every week that, you know, I've got his full support and that's so helpful to me. Um, just even in like my day-to-day responsibilities, like knowing that, you know, my boss as a man fully supports me, fully believes in me, fully you know, trust and respects and values my voice and opinion. Um, and, you know, I've been in this role for almost exactly a year. And I remember when I was thinking about, oh gosh, like, am I ready for this? Do I take it on? Like I had a great conversation with Steven and Steven had, you know, worked with me from the beginning and really, um, 
you know, just encouraged and felt very, you know, empowered by him. And so I think something I have been so fortunate and blessed to experience is kind of like that positive side of partnership from the men leaders that I do work with. And I think that's something that, you know, I would love to see trickle out into, into more companies, into more industries and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think it's so important to have, you know, it's important for us as women to speak for ourselves, but it does help a lot when you also have male colleagues or male bosses who are also being your advocate. I know um, I'll brag on my boss, Steven, for a second. He's great about that. So many times when we've had big meetings with like C-level people and stuff, I, you know, get a little intimidated. I'm lower on the totem pole and (laughs) a little bit newer and stuff. So I get nervous sometimes, but, and basically every meeting, he's always like slacked me on the side and been like, speak up. Like, I know you have really, I know you have good input with this or like a topic come up and he's like, Oh, tell them like, you need to jump in with this. So, um, it's been really great to see that here and totally agree with you, Hayden. I think that's something that every workplace should strive to have is to have, um, people who advocate for each other. Um, it's a good point. Um, go to Stephanie. Um, what about you? What changes do you want to see in, um, business, the workplace, all of that, um, to promote more equality and diversity? Yeah. So in the healthcare space, uh, one of the larger changes that we're seeing now that I really hope continues is the increase in flexibility to, um, access for healthcare. So we're seeing a big push in telehealth, um, getting healthcare through messaging services. And these changes are proving that healthcare is not just confined to an exam room Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m. And it's allowing individuals across the spectrum of identities and experiences uh, you, being able to get healthcare that meets their timeline with their unique needs. And um, also the healthcare professionals are getting the benefit of meeting individuals and helping individuals uh, in non-traditional places or times or being limited to just a space, a physical space. And I'm so excited about this and I cannot wait to see what else technology brings us in the next couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Teresa, what about you? What changes would you like to see? in um, business or healthcare or the workplace to promote equality and diversity? For me, I think it's just, you have to be so purposeful about the decisions you make here, because if that is the type of workplace you're trying to create, or that's what we're trying to do in the healthcare space, you need to realize and all the different viewpoints that you're gonna need at the table to make that happen. And if you don't, particularly in healthcare, because there are certain communities out there, they don't trust healthcare at all. So if you're not even getting them to the table to have that conversation, you're never going to get through to them. So I think it's just being very purposeful in everything that you're doing and, you know, and asking yourself is, do I need to know more? Is this the best way? Who else do I need to ask? Um, because that's the only way it'll really start happening is to not be the only voice in the room. So that that's how I feel. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, Rose, what about you? What changes do you want to see? 
So I, it, that's a tricky question. When I look at it, part of the reason why uh, we sometimes miss out on diversity and inclusiveness is because um, when an opportunity opens up, most people's first instinct is to go to the network that they have. And so as long as we don't have a network that is inclusive, then they, we never get the opportunity to grow. And I think I used the example earlier where um, I forget the mute of the opera house of um, the concert house that started using the black curtain to addition um, participants. So that way it encouraged inclusive um, diversity. Um, and they seen a substantial jump in the number of women performance because when you couldn't identify them, you were just basing it on the pure skill set. Um, to Stephanie's point, when we um, now that we've proven that the world is much bigger and much smaller uh, because of COVID, we're able to communicate more effectively. It should allow us to grow our networks. Um, I, I don't have a quick answer. The ability to look outside our comfort zone, to look at non-traditional individuals and roles is what's going to get us there, but the path to it is going to be a long one. Yeah. That's a great point. And I know exactly what you're talking about with the, the opera house where they started using the curtain. And I don't know if it's the same one or, or if this is true, but an additional thing I saw to that story was that they realized there was still some bias happening because women wearing high heels, they could hear the click of their heels on the floor. And were, and those participants weren't getting picked because subconsciously they knew like, well, that, that must be a woman. So they also put down carpet. So you couldn't hear anyone's footsteps or see them. Um, so I know exactly what story you're talking about. I like just saw that a week ago and I thought it was so interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for sharing your perspective on that. Um, Robin, let's go to you. Uh, what changes do you want to see? You know, I, I agree with Rose. I think it's a tricky one. Um, you know, I've, I've really been very fortunate to work with a lot of different kinds of people. And I think what I would love to see, I don't know what, what generation I am. I don't know like what the word is. If y'all know, you could tell me uh, if it's generation X or Z or Y, I don't recall, but the one that's above me, like let's call them boomers. Um, I would love to see people that have the skill set of a boomer to have a mutual respect for a millennial. And I find there's a lot of discrepancies there. Um, a lot of, let me show you how it's done. And I would really love to see that approach kind of reversed and um, for people my age and older to be so much more respectful of our younger colleagues and what they bring to the table. Uh, because a lot of times it's, um, it's incredibly valuable. And it is worth listening to and it's worth growing from and learning from. And so I would love to see more mutual respect between generations. Yeah, That's a really, really good point. Um, and I think it even goes back to what you were saying earlier, just having mutual respect for everybody. Um, but totally agree with you that between generations, that's such a, such a huge thing. I mean, yeah, I was going to bring up a meme, but I won't mention a meme. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you on the generation thing. I actually, um, um, place I worked before, I actually, I looked into like generational marketing. So I did research on like all the different generations and what they value and why they value it. 
and seeing that insight to it was really interesting because um, what it comes down to is that we've all had such different experiences. And I think that's why there's um, disagreements or, you know, older generations saying like, oh, well, they don't know any better. But at the end of the day, it's like, we can all learn from each other. It's a good thing that we have different perspectives. It's a good thing that we didn't all have the same experiences. That's how we learn and grow as a community or as a workplace or as a society. Um, so really great point, Robin. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, we're to our last question. Um, so for the last question, I just wanted to ask what um, encouragement or advice you would give to younger colleagues who are at the beginning of their careers, or even advice that you would give to women who are well-established in their careers, but are maybe dealing with um, barriers or self-doubt. Um, so let's start with Rose. So one of the biggest things I um, had to learn and accept is when we were, well, I might call my age out, unfortunately, but when I was growing up, you would get hired at a job and your goal was to stay at that company until you retired and wander off with a pension. Um, those days are gone. Um, there isn't the same level of loyalty or 401ks. There's enough incentives to move around. And the most important lesson I've learned is it's okay to leave. Um, I, if I were to have an accident and God forbid I disappeared, my job would be posted within a month. And that's just a fact. And so being brave enough to go search, not being ashamed of taking care of yourself first, that's what you need to do because at the end of the day, you are the most important person. Yeah, absolutely. That's an excellent point. Um, Stephanie, advice or encouragement? If I could upvote that, as well as everybody speaking about boundaries, um, something that when I was looking back at where I was many years ago and starting off, um, a mistake that I made, and I think it's easy to make this, is the idea that um, someone in your workplace will reach out to you and offer mentorship. Uh, you know, waiting around, waiting for someone to notice me and notice, you know, I have untapped potential and please, you know, give me guidance. Uh, the don't wait for someone to offer their time, but instead be proactive, seek out the mentorship, seek out the guidance that you're looking for. And I think something again, like this new wave of technology and uh, Rose says, you know, the world is so big and it's so small. Don't limit your, um, your pool of knowledge, your mentors or that feedback loop uh, to just what's inside your office space. There's really great support out there, um, networking outside your organization, um, mentoring organizations, even Facebook groups online, where you can find individuals who are, you know, at your experience level, higher, lower, and being able to uh, get that feedback from a variety of uh, people coming from experiences and in different industries. Um, probably one of the first mistakes I've made. Great advice. Thank you. Um, Hayden. Um, well, being <laughs> young and still, I feel like at the beginning of my career, I feel like I should just be a sponge right now listening to everybody else. But um, there's some of the best advice that I received um, from my previous boss was you have a choice and you have a voice. And I feel like that kind of aligns with what, you know, so many of you have been saying, like, Rose, I love what you're saying about like, don't be afraid to leave. Like if you're not feeling valued or you're not being heard, 
then you're probably not in the right place. Um, and I am so thankful to have had that spoken to me so early on in my career, because I feel like it does help me, you know, guide so many of my decisions when I think about my own personal growth and where I want to be. And it's so true. Like, you know, we all have a voice and we shouldn't have to fight for it to be heard, but sometimes we do. And, you know, if you're having to fight too hard, you probably shouldn't be there, but also we have a choice about what kind of environment we want to be in and what kind of team we want to work with. And yeah, like at the end of the day, um, you can make that choice for yourself and take care of yourself where you can tolerate toxic behavior. So I think that's the best advice that I've, you know, have been given and what I would pass on. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Teresa, advice and encouragement you would give? So many good things have been said already. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with everybody. You need to find a mentor, know who you are, um, learn your voice. And, I, and I'm and i with Hayden, not with Roses. It's okay to leave because I've seen that across the board with so many people where they're just where they're at and it's like, it slows you down in your path when you're not getting that support that you need. So move somewhere else because you can do the research. You can find another organization that's more authentic to who you are and what kind of where you can find your joy, so to speak. But yeah, just reach out to people, get to know people, network. Um, and yeah, just know, know what you need to do. Yeah. Thank you. And we will end it out with Robin. What advice and encouragement would you give? Um, I think, um, I think the first encouragement that I would give to women um, in life and in the workplace is be confident in who you are. You know, even the messages that you tell yourself, even earlier, Josie, you said, I'm lower on the totem pole. And, and don't I don't call like me out, too. Robin. You know, <laughs> I, I don't like that. I don't like to hear that. You know, I grew up in a way that, you know, my mom was just, she wasn't, she didn't teach us to be kind. She was kind and you just caught on and she valued the janitor as much as she valued her CEO. And so I have bought into that philosophy in life and um, thankful for the way she and the good Lord raised me that I'm just confident in who, who I am. And, and I think in the messages that we tell ourselves, they need to be beautiful and worthy and empowered and valuable and all of those things, but we really need to believe it. In ourselves. And so we need to be confident in who we are and what skills we bring to the table. Uh, but we also should never try to be somebody that we're not. And if we don't know it, say it. I say it all the time. I say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I screwed this up or um, I don't know that answer. I mean, don't be afraid, you know, be, be completely comfortable with being honest and humble and just saying, um, you know, I say, if I don't say I'm sorry, once a week, I'm not doing something right because I, I'm always trying to get better and do better and be better. And so don't, don't be ashamed of that. Don't have any guilt in, you know, learning to, you know, try, don't be, don't be somebody else, but don't try to be somebody else and don't try to act like you have all the answers. Cause none of us do. And, and I think, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier is teach people the way to treat you you know, have that expectation for yourself, 
um, that you are going to, you know, rise to the occasion and have those hard conversations that, you know, be comfortable in the uncomfortable conversations and don't be intimidated to stand up for yourself and say, especially I think when you're taking on a new job, uh, whether it be in healthcare or anywhere else, from those, I mean, very, very beginning conversations, say exactly what you need and exactly what you want and be willing to obviously, you know, hear some different perspectives and approaches and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, don't be intimidated to stand up for yourself. And, and I think that be a champion for other women, you know, I love all these women on this call and I have like deep respect for every single one of them. And so I think that, you know, be women cheering other women on, you know, be each other's biggest advocate. And so, I mean, I have incredible women in my life and I, I mean, I would hope to be a fourth of the woman that my mother is that she raised me to be, but I think that, you know, we should always be striving to be that for other people and, um, and other women in particularly. And, and I think as all of us and women in leadership, you know, we can make a difference and we, we are making a difference and you need to be confident in the difference that you're making, uh, because it's powerful and it's beautiful. Absolutely. Huge claps to that, to all of that. <laughs> and also thank you for the encouragement, Robin, <laughs> for calling me out. <laughs> it was out of love. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, it's, it is, it's absolutely good advice. I'm also, uh, I also asked this question to all of you for myself mostly. So that's really the main reason why I asked that. Uh, so thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that brings us to the end of our discussion. I loved this so much. I truly wish we could talk for like two more hours. Um, <laughs> also wish that we were all just like in the office together. So I could just pop in and talk to all of y'all, but hopefully we'll get there soon. Um, but in the meantime, this was a wonderful discussion. I'm no, I'm personally walking away very empowered and very encouraged. So thank you all for that. And I'm sure our listeners will all have tons of great takeaways from everything y'all said. Um, so just thank y'all again for being a part of this today. Thanks, Josie. Thanks, Josie.